This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. say this for the last time in this series. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Galatians, if you would. We finish up our series entitled Only Jesus. Uh, Tonight, uh, 37 messages we've had from this particular passage of Scripture. If you missed any of them, you've got a lot of catching up to do. You can do that on our church website or or on our church app, uh, our podcast, however you uh, get our uh, previous messages, do that. I've enjoyed preaching through this just because there's so much rich doctrinal content uh, that can be found in the book of Galatians. Um, and Paul really makes the case that it's not about what you've done, it's all about what Jesus Christ has done. Uh, as we uh, just kind of give you a quick uh, recap of the passage before we jump into the message tonight in Galatians chapter 6. Uh, Paul wrote this letter not to one particular church. There was not necessarily a church at Galatia, but there were a multitude of churches, probably five or six that we know of for sure that Paul wrote this to a group of churches. And the idea was uh, when they received the letter, uh, they'd make a copy of it, they'd pass it on to the next church. They would make a copy of it, they'd pass it on to the next church, and everybody would have this letter from Paul. And uh, Paul wrote it for one purpose and one purpose only, to combat false teaching. A lot of the epistles that were written to churches were written to combat false teaching. And so the major false teaching that was going on that Galatians wants to rectify is the idea of legalism. Uh, The idea that there's steps of things that you have to do to get saved or even to stay saved. Uh, uh, In this case here, there's a group of folks known as Judaizers who said, it's great that you're following Jesus now, but you still need to keep the Old Testament Levitical law. Uh, Your men still need to be circumcised and you make sure that you keep all the feast days and you make sure that you keep all the Jewish customs. Even though you're not a Jew, even though you're a Gentile, uh, you now that you're a follower of Jesus, you have to do these things. And Paul says, no, stop. That never saved anybody and it never will save anyone. And so he says, you're starting to mess with the gospel and you can't mess with that. And so the book of Galatians is unique in a couple of different respects. First of all, it's one of the only letters that Paul writes to a church that he doesn't first give a word of commendation. Every other uh, church that he writes to, he says, hey, you're doing really well in these areas, keep up the good work in that, but let's discuss a few things that where you could grow. Even the church at Corinth with all the multitude of problems that it had, Paul still gave a word of commendation to him. Hey guys, you're doing really good in these, in these areas, but here's some problems that we have. The uh, letter to the churches at Galatia has no word of commendation at all. And even as we get down to the end of it, we'll see Paul's closing uh, remarks that he has here are really short and to the point. Uh, doesn't give a lot of a flowery fluff. Uh, he, he gets right to the point even from chapter one. Uh, I'm surprised, I'm shocked, I'm amazed that you are so far removed from the gospel that you had received directly from me and I received it directly from Jesus and, and you guys are so far off track with this. And it just goes to show that if you're going to mess with any major doctrine of the Bible, the gospel is a terrible one to mess with because it has eternal ramifications. If you tell someone that the only way that they can get to heaven is by being circumcised or keeping feasts and things like that, you're preparing that person to go to an eternity in hell. So you don't mess with the gospel at all. And so Paul felt very strongly about that, and so he wrote a letter here to the churches at Galatia to get that thing back on track. So as we've gone through this, we see that the Christian life is not a list of rules and regulations to follow as much as it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's not about making sure that we get all of our, our, our T's crossed and our I's dotted, otherwise we might accidentally wind up in hell one day. No, no, no. Jesus Christ has already done the work. It's now our job to walk in his finished work on the cross. And then as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, don't ever forget those. Here's how you know if you're walking in the Spirit. It gives us nine virtues that we must walk in to exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that we that are spiritual have crucified the flesh. We that are spiritual should restore those who have fallen into sin and help them get back on track with their life. And then it brings us down to the uh, closing remarks that Paul uh, has in the book of Galatians. Again, if you get time to read through Paul's letters that he wrote through the New Testament, you'll find his closing remarks are sometimes, um, some people might have even guessed that Paul even copies these from, from uh, letter to letter because they sound very similar. Grace and peace be unto you. Hey, here's the guys that were with me when I wrote this letter. Uh, sometimes he might even give the name of his scribe who actually wrote the letter for him that he dictated to. This is a little bit different in the fact that Paul really gives closing thoughts and then he kind of says, all right, guys, I'm done. Uh, and so it's unique even in his closing of this. And I think for me, as I read through this, I, I look and I see really Paul's passion for the gospel. Hey, you guys have messed up one of the most important things in the world. Why Jesus came, his fulfillment of the law, our faith in Christ alone for salvation. You guys messed this up and I don't have a lot of good stuff to say, so we're just getting down to business. I feel like his closing remarks are almost even in the same vein as that, uh, which we'll take a look at tonight. Galatians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse number 11 and go through the end of the chapter. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Verse number 14 would be a great verse to circle, star, underline, commit to memory. Write it on a three by five card, carry it around with you this week. It's a solid verse. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I think Paul's uh, closing statements here, again, he, he gives one, almost one uh, verse of benediction, verse 18, where he closes things out. Hey, brethren, grace be to you. Uh, amen. I think Paul, the way that he, uh, his tone in this letter and I think even with his closing statements that he has here uh, in verse number 11, uh, tells us that first of all, the gospel is so important, so important. Now, verse 11, a lot of people have given a lot of conjecture and thought to what they think uh, verse number 11 means. Uh, and you can trace it back almost to Paul's thorn in the flesh. Uh, Paul says in uh, his letter to the church at Corinth, I had a thorn in the flesh and I asked God three times that it would be taken from me and God didn't take it from me, but God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then the lifelong question has always been, well, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Some people think that it was his health, a health trial that he had. Uh, some people think that it was uh, maybe a family trial that he had. Some people think that uh, maybe he had this um, eye condition with uh, runny eyes because he had said in another passage, you would have given your own eyes for me uh, as, he, as he wrote to, to a church and some people thought, well, well, that means Paul had poor eyesight. Uh, other people thought that Paul had uh, some type of uh, osteoporosis or some type of bone disease. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? We have no idea. And frankly, 
it doesn't matter. I was talking to some folks this past week and I said, everything that God wanted us to know is in the scriptures and everything that God didn't think was important is not in the scriptures. So what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? We don't know and frankly, it doesn't matter. But some people have said, oh, it was Paul's eyesight or Paul's uh, uh, arthritis that he had made it difficult to write. And so verse number 11, he says, I've written you a large letter with my own hand. And so Paul's uh, really calling back to his thorn in the flesh. To make a, a jump like that is what we would call eisegesis, to read in something into the text that isn't actually there. And so we don't want to make that jump. Here's what Paul did say. Guys, I took my own time to write you this big, long letter with my own hand. That's how big of a deal this is. Whether Paul had any health trials or anything else like that going on, it was common for folks to use scribes back in Paul's day. Uh, again, your average person couldn't write themselves, and so generally they would employ a scribe to write for them. And so especially people who had a lot to say, like Paul always had a lot to say, they would employ scribes to actually write these letters for him. But in this case here, Paul employed no scribe. He says, hey, this handwriting, it's mine, it's Paul's. You see how big of a letter I've written to you with my own hand? You know why? Because this is important. This is a big deal. I took time, effort, energy to write you a letter about something that's incredibly important. What does that say to us? We must take personal responsibility for the gospel. Paul saw the gospel becoming corrupt and he says, nope, gotta put a stop to it immediately. I'm gonna write a letter with my own hand to a group of churches that can make a difference. And we must as a church, as individuals, take personal responsibility for the gospel. I think all of us would agree. What does our church, what does our, 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 our nation need at this time? Jesus. Great. What does our city need? They need Jesus. Right. How are they going to get Jesus? Maybe our church will get Jesus to it. No. One person at a time, that's how we bring people to Christ. I'm thankful for any place that packs stadiums full of people and preaches a true gospel. People have the opportunity to be converted. Thankful for that. That's not you and I on a day-to-day basis. You'll have the opportunity tomorrow to rub shoulders with someone that doesn't know Jesus. Or somebody on your street this week that doesn't know Jesus. Or somebody maybe in your workplace that doesn't know Jesus. What do we do with it? We get Jesus to them. What if they reject? That's up to them. But we have to take personal responsibility for the gospel. We can't hope that one day somebody will get the gospel to them. I grew up in a church that never taught anybody to share the gospel. I was a, I was a grown man in my 20s. I've been to church three times a week for 18 years and I didn't know how to share my faith with anybody because nobody ever taught me. The, the idea of the gospel was we'll give money to missions and missionaries can take the gospel around the world. We, we won't take it across the street, but we'll pay missionaries to go to foreign lands and take the gospel and that will absolve us of our responsibility for the gospel. The gospel responsibility is not a job we can just hire out and then wash our hands of it. No, we've got to take personal responsibility for it. And twice this year on a Saturday, we'll have a, a workshop called Sharing Jesus where we'll teach you how to, to share your faith with another person. We'll talk about starting the conversation, how you turn the conversation, questions that you can use to advance the conversation, and ways that we can help you to be able to share your faith with someone else because we have to take personal responsibility for the gospel. That's why our invitations that we have to church, on the back of every single one of them, are five verses from the Bible about how you can know for sure when you die you're on your way to heaven. You could just read that to another person. They would have enough information to put their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. We have to own it. Look, if we as the church that Jesus started do not own the gospel, no one will. 
And if we're hoping that uh, our, our nation will come to Christ, our city will come to Christ automatically, it's never gonna happen. We have to have personal stake in this. We gotta have skin in the game. Paul says, you guys are messing up one of the most essential doctrines in all of the Christian faith and you gotta stop it and I'm willing to write a letter myself with my own hand to make sure that we get this thing straight once and for all. Next, Paul takes one last opportunity to chastise those who walk in pride. If you look at verses number 12 and 13, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, these people wanna think that they're somebody and show that they're somebody, they constrain you or challenge you or put this uh, requirement on you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Uh, These people have never suffered anything for the cause of Jesus, but they want to put additional burden on you. And here's what he goes on to say in verse number 13. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Hey, these people that aren't even keeping the Old Testament law, they're trying to put that burden on you and they don't even live it themselves. They're asking you to meet a standard that they themselves aren't even willing to meet. They're asking you to be circumcised and some of them aren't even circumcised. Why? So that they can glory in your flesh, so that they can feel like somebody, so that they can be puffed up with pride. And he takes one last opportunity to say no. There's no honor, there's no value in self-righteousness or hypocritical living. Again, these people want you to, to keep a standard that they themselves are not keeping. Imagine the type of message we took a look at this morning as we looked at uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, where I challenge you to live a holy, righteous life and to live a distinctly Christian life, different than everyone else. Imagine me sharing a challenge like that with you when I'm myself not willing to live it myself. You'd say, well, that's hypocritical. Of course it is. In this case here, they were challenging these new believers, these new Christians, these Gentiles that had come to faith in Christ to live according to an Old Testament law that even they themselves weren't living. Why? Because of pride. There's no honor. There's no value in self-righteousness. The whole uh, book of Galatians is to do away with the idea of self-righteousness. Your good works don't amount to a hill of beans in the sight of God if you're not willing to give the glory to Jesus Christ and if you're not willing to, to put your entire faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Self-righteousness will get you nowhere. Hypocritical living, no value found there either. And again, lest we misunderstand what hypocrite means. Sometimes people say, well, pastor, I'm really trying. I'm still still struggling with sin. I don't want to come to church and be a hypocrite. A hypocrite is not someone who struggles with sin. A person who struggles with sin is called a Christian because we will continue to struggle against our sinful nature until the day that we die. Now, I shouldn't be struggling with the same sin today that I was struggling with 20 years ago but I'm gonna continue to struggle with sin until the day that I meet Jesus face to face. The word that's used in scripture for hypocrite or hypocrisy is the idea of one who wears a mask. Think of it this way. You come to church on Sunday and you put on your Sunday mask and you have a big smile and you you shake everybody's hand and say, hey, good to see you, amen, praise the Lord. Oh, I love that last song, that's my favorite. And when you get in the car, you take the mask off and you continue to live a duplicitous life. You continue to fake it again till next week. And next week, you look around the house before you walk out the door and say, hey, where's my Sunday mask? And you grab that and you put it on and then you're all smiles again on Sunday. That's a hypocrite. 
The hypocrite is not a Christian who really wants to overcome their sin, who really wants to fight against their sin, who really wants to be a man or woman of God, who wants to walk with God and do the right things, yet stumbles from time to time. That's all of us. And unfortunately, I've seen so many Christians quit on their faith because they felt like they'd never measure up to God's expectation. And let me just tell you, you'll never hit it 100%, but we strive towards that. We strive towards Christ-likeness. There's no excuse for sinfulness. I can't just say, well, I'm a sinner and God knows it so I can continue to live in my sin. But we're real about our sin. We're real about our struggles. We're not gonna hide it and say that we're somebody that we're not. We're gonna face it head on. We're gonna ask for prayer. We're gonna ask for accountability. We're gonna continue to strive towards righteousness. Not self-righteousness, but the righteousness that comes in walking with Christ. You see, the root of self-righteousness and hypocritical living is pride. Paul says they wanted the glory in your flesh. They want to uh, put a feather in their cap for what they've done through you. They want to get you to follow their rules so that they can feel like they're somebody. And the root of that is pride. I don't struggle with alcohol. I don't struggle with drugs. I don't struggle with pornography or lust. You know what I struggle with? Pride. I want people to like me. I want to be well-liked. I want people to like our church. Some of that's rooted in that I want people to know Jesus and things like that, but some of it's rooted in the fact that I really want people to like me and I want to feel like somebody. And I have to struggle and fight against that every single day because pride then leads to self-righteousness and hypocrisy, and we can't afford that. But the root of that is pride, and if we're not careful, if we don't keep pride in check, pride ruins everything it touches. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you allow pride to take over, it's only a matter of time before everything falls apart. It's a house of cards that cannot stand on its own. Pride ruins everything. And the worst thing about pride is God hates pride. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud. Resisteth, pushes away the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He brings the the humble man, the humble woman towards him, close to him. He draws tight to them, but he resists, pushes away the proud. I can't afford to have God push me away. You can't afford to have God push you away because of your pride. And, And Paul's already challenged these folks. Hey, he that thinketh he's somebody just needs to check himself because he's no one. He that thinketh he stand needs to take heed lest he fall. We need to walk in humility before the Lord. And humility does away with self-righteousness. Humility says, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. Humility says, if there's anything good in my life, it's what Jesus Christ has done through my life. Humility says, I am nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Humility says, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father above. In whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything good I have in my life came from God. And without him, I'm toast. That's what humility says. But these people were pumping their chest because they got some people to follow after them. Hey, I, want, I don't want disciples of Anthony King made through this church. I want disciples of Jesus made. You shouldn't want people to follow you and the rules that you set. You want, want people to follow Jesus and the guidelines that he has for a fruitful life. And so this system here that had been created in these churches in the Galatian region, Paul says, it's got to stop altogether. These people, they don't love you. They don't care about you. They're only concerned about their own well-being. 
and glorying in their flesh. And our glory is not found in our own accomplishments, but in the work of Jesus Christ. Verse number 14, man, I love it. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid that I should ever take any credit for anything I've ever done. You and I in churches for the last 2,000 years have been blessed by Paul's life, by his works, by his thoughts, by his actions, by his letters that he's written. Every single one of us owes a massive debt of gratitude to the apostle Paul. You know what Paul would say then? God forbid you owe me anything. I owe Jesus everything. Paul said, God forbid that I get any credit for this. No, no, no. The cross of Jesus Christ gets all the credit. Paul would have hated to have a Paul fan club, you know? Paul would have hated, hated the idea that somebody would have a church named St. Paul's Church. He'd be like, oh, no, 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 wrong guy. Take my name off that sign under no circumstances whatsoever. God forbid that there be a St. Paul's Church. Goodness. Paul says, if there's anything good in my life, anything we want to glory in, let's glory in the cross of Christ. I've got nothing to glory over. And so it's interesting here is Paul. You see what, what, what carnal people will do is they'll put down another person to lift themselves up. You ever been around somebody like that before who wants to trash everybody else so that they can elevate themselves? Paul doesn't do that. You know what Paul does? He points out these hypocrites for who they really are and then he backs away and says, and you know what, don't follow after me either, follow after Jesus. These hypocrites, they don't care about you, but please don't glory in Paul either. Don't follow these guys, but don't make me your object of worship either. Paul says, I'm not glorying anything I've done. I want to glory in the cross of Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me. The cross of Jesus Christ has crucified the entire world to me. You know what that means? The world's dead to me. And you know what, what killed it for me? The cross. I really don't care what you think about me, Paul says. I really don't care what others might say about me as long as it's true. I'm not concerned about perception, not concerned about my name going down in history. I'm really just concerned about the cross of Christ because the whole world is dead to me because of the cross. I'm not concerned about worldly gain. I'm not concerned about what's good for me. I'm only concerned about the gospel, the cross of Christ, by which the world is crucified to me, and here's what he finishes the verse with, and I unto the world. Hey, the world's dead to me, but you know what? I'm dead to the world too. What made that delineation? The cross of Christ. The cross killed the world to me, and it killed Paul to the world. And he says, and I'm okay with that. You see, Paul wasn't concerned about his own accomplishments. We find Paul in a, in a moment giving his list of things that he's done. You know, he was a Jew of the Jews and he was circumcised on the eighth day and he was the stock of Benjamin. He went in to give all of his list of accomplishments. Unless you think Paul was one who wanted to kind of peacock a little bit and show off. You know what Paul ended that with? And I counted all but dung. It's trash to me. It's worthless to me. It doesn't amount to.
into a pile of excrement. That's what the word dung means. It's heavy. It means nothing to me. Anything I've accomplished in life. And so Paul here saying, not really concerned what people think about me. These false teachers don't follow after them, but you need to follow after the cross of Christ till you die. And while Paul's alive, he's already told them in Galatians chapter two, verse number 20, hey, I'm crucified with Christ. I live, but it's Christ that lives in me now. Paul's dead. Only Christ is alive here. Great news about Jesus Christ is he sets us free from legalism and he makes us new. Verse number 15, for Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. You know what? It's not about the rules that you follow. It's all about Christ being alive in you. I'm thankful for our discipleship program. We'll have a discipleship kickoff this week. We've got probably about 22 or so folks that are signed up for discipleship, which is awesome. But discipleship isn't meant to give you a list of rules to follow. <laughs> One time we had a, we had a new, uh, we're having our next step class uh, coming up at the end of this month to talk about how you can get plugged in here at Who We Call and, and begin to serve and how you can get more involved. If you're interested in that, sign up for it. It's on a Sunday morning uh, before the service. And we had somebody come several years ago uh, and they raised their hand and I said, anybody get any questions? They raised their hand. Yeah. Do you have a list of like rules for us to follow? For what exactly? Like the church, what's the church's rules that we follow? Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, the last church we went to, they kind of gave us a list of rules, like do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Uh, Yeah, we just kind of defer to the Bible. So that's kind of it. And he said, uh, okay. Um, He raised his hand again. Uh, I heard Baptists don't dance. Is that true? Um, I don't know that that to be true, but... um, I said, he said, well, you know, my friend was at a member of a church in Tennessee, and they said, you know, Baptists don't drink and Baptists don't dance. And I go, I think alcohol is incredibly unwise, and I don't think it's wise at all. And I said, when you say dance, what do you mean? He said, well, me and my wife, we go to a ballroom dancing class once a week with a bunch of other folks that are over 70. Is that okay? That's 100% okay. I got no problem with that. So Baptists do dance. <laughs> don't quote me on that, because here's the thing. I said, if you and your wife or you and another woman were to go to a club where they're playing loud, raucous music with a bunch of people that are heavily intoxicated and hanging all over each other and grinding on people who are not your spouse, we're not for that. And he goes, well, yeah, like who would be for that? Exactly. I said, that's kind of what I'm trying to say here, that we're not giving you a list of rules like don't do this. We're telling you to live like a Christian and obey the Bible. And he goes, okay, that makes sense then. Because... Were we to give you a list of rules, you can dance but not this way and not in these places, and the people must be at least 70 years or older in the place that you dance. Look, that, that is legalism by very definition. We're not gonna give you guidelines of, of can and cannot do. Even worse, these people were trying to say, if you do these things, you're not a Christian, you're not saved, you don't have eternal life if you do these things, or if you're not circumcised, you're not a real Christian. And legalism ruins. Now, we we talked about this, but again, since this is the wrap-up message and we're closing everything out with tonight's message, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. One side is legalism where he says, you must follow all these rules to really be a Christian or to really please God. 
And then there's another side of the road with another ditch on it called antinomianism. Antinomianism means no law. Antinomianism says, hey, God forgives sin. That's who he is. That's what he does. You can live how you want. You can sin as much as you want. And at the end of the day, all you have to do is say you're sorry and God just forgives it. It's fine. Come as you are. Stay as you are because God loves sinners. And and believe it or not, churches like that exist where they make a big deal about we're just a big mess here or just a bunch of messy people with messy lives and we've made wrecks of our lives but God loves our beautiful mess that we've made and God celebrates our brokenness. Actually, God hates your sinfulness, hates it. You know why? Because your sin put his son to death on the cross. That's how much God hates your sin. So the idea that God gets glory from sinfulness is anti-biblical. So we can't just say, stay in your sin because God forgives it. And at the other side, we can't say, follow this list of rules and you will be righteous because that is self-righteousness. There has to be a middle of the road where we pursue Christ-likeness. That's the idea. Not legalism, not antinomianism, but Christ-likeness. And when we fall and we stumble along the road towards Christ-likeness, the thing that picks us up and dusts us off and sends us on our way is the grace of God. Now, I can't continue to rebel against God and hope that the grace is just gonna keep picking me up and dusting me off along the way. I have to at some point be a a big boy and say, I take ownership for my sin and I wanna make it right. So again, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, legalism and antinomianism. The the middle of the road is Christ-likeness and the grace of God. That'll take you on your journey. But Jesus sets us free from any type of legalism. And he says, circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't avail anything. But you know what does amount to something? A new creature. That's what he ends the verse with. Circumcision and uncircumcision avail nothing, but a new creature, on the other hand, that's that's a difference. The whole idea that you were saved is you would saved to be new. Not that you would be saved to adopt a new set of guidelines that you have to follow. These people are saying, oh, you're a Christian now. Congratulations. Now you get loaded up with the Levitical law. Great. I'm so glad you're a follower of Christ. Have you ever heard of the feasts that you have to keep now? Just like, oh, no. And Paul says, no, no, no. You didn't leave the bondage of sin to take on the bondage of the law. No, no, no. Jesus set you free from the law. Jesus fulfilled the law completely to a T. You didn't just go from one slave master of sin to another slave master of the law. No, no, you've been set free from sin to live under the freedom that's found in Christ. That's the good stuff. Next, the pure gospel is the only hope for salvation. Verse number 16. Again, if you ever get a chance to read through Paul's letters, and if you just want to flip to the last few paragraphs and read, sometimes he gives these really long, extended uh, goodbyes. Hey, Mark's with me, and he wanted to tell you guys, hey, say hey to Priscilla and Aquila uh, and everybody that's in their house. Hey, I'm here with this guy here. He said to say hello. Uh, None of that here, none, none at all. And some people have said, well, he's writing a general letter here, so he's not calling people out. He knew would know people in these churches, and he could have called out if he wanted to. He just chose not to. And sometimes he'll say, grace and peace be unto you all. 
kind of a blanket statement that, hey, everybody, just live under the grace and peace of Jesus. But I find it interesting. Other people might not, and other people might say that I'm reading into it, I said Jesus, and if that's the case, I apologize. I'll just tell you this is my take on it. Verse 16, you know what he says? As many as walk according to this rule, in other words, the true gospel, peace be on them. Not grace and peace to everybody. Peace is gonna be to those who believe the true gospel. Grace and peace is not for the people who walk in legalism, not the people who are putting an additional yoke upon them, not the people who have believed a false gospel. In in, in chapter one, he goes so far as to say, you believed another gospel, which is not even a real gospel, it's fake. And he doesn't say peace to all of you. He says peace to them that walk according to this rule, that Jesus Christ is what makes us a new creature. The pure gospel is the only hope for salvation. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind, that's it. That's all we got. That's all we need. And so the pure gospel gives us hope. The pure gospel gives us the peace with God that we need. And Paul says, peace be upon you. And then verse number 18, again, it's not a blanket statement that he makes. He says, brethren, you that are brothers and sisters in Christ, to you, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So again, not a a blanket statement that he makes here. Peace be to those who really follow after the true gospel. And grace be unto my brethren, you that are real brothers and sisters in Christ, not the fakes. I think it's it's interesting that Paul says it that way. And again, I might be reading too much into it, and if I am, I apologize for that. It's just my take. I'll tell you ahead of time. Disclaimer, that's my take on it. But I know this, there's no peace found apart from the gospel of Christ. I know that for sure. That I can say with 100% certainty. That if you're looking for peace outside of the gospel, it just cannot be found. The true gospel. And I love, again, what Paul says in verse number 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Do you know what Paul says in the next to the last verse before he closes out? And you know what? Don't bother me with this anymore. It's done. What I have said, I have said, this is not up for discussion. I'm done with it. Again, very curt ending to this letter as opposed to the other letters that Paul's written. You know what I believe that means for us? Not that we get to be smart with people and go, if you don't like it, you can talk to the hand. I don't think that's what Paul's saying here. I think he says God's word is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. God's word is spoken. It's done. If you need some clarification, I think Paul would have clarified some things for you. Now, Paul, I really just want to understand this. What you're saying here is X. I think Paul would have given you his ear. But I think anybody who wanted to stir up strife or drama or talk about it, I think Paul was done with it. Uh Uh-uh, guys, I'm done with this. This is all I have to say about it, and it's all that needs to be said about it. I'm all for trying to help people who are steeped in darkness to find the light. I'll spend as much time as I can with someone who really wants to find truth. I love talking with people who haven't yet come to put their faith in Christ yet, and they say, I'm just looking for the truth. Oh, man. I'd spend days with you if I could. 
And I always tell him the same thing when I'm done talking with him. Continue to search for truth and you will find Jesus. I guarantee you because the Bible promises that if you seek with all of your heart, you will find him. Keep seeking. Keep looking for truth. Keep on that road for discovery. Keep your heart and your mind open and allow the Holy Spirit to speak God's word of truth into your life. Oh man, do it. But I have no time whatsoever to argue to debate, to try to talk people out of foolish, false religion. I'm willing to give you the truth and if you don't like it, I I don't have a lot else to say. I had people before who said, Pastor, would you come to lunch with me and my coworker? He's not a Christian. Man, I'd love to do that. He's a Jehovah's Witness and he really wants to argue with you. I have no desire to do that whatsoever. None. No, it'd be really good. I'd love to watch something like that. No. Like, come on. Here's a book called Paid in Full. Ask your coworker to read this and then ask him his thoughts on it. Oh, he'd never read something like that. Well, then he's not looking for truth. And you should give him the book so if he's ever looking for truth, he'll pick it up and read it. If somebody's searching, I got a coworker who thinks he might be steeped in false religion. Would you talk to him? Love to. Absolutely. You're gonna pit me up against somebody who's looking for a fight? I'm not interested in that. And Paul even challenges Timothy. Hey, don't get caught up in needless debates. And here's the thing. For every person you have who wants to argue with you and fight with you, there's another person out there somewhere that's looking for truth and just wants somebody to tell them what's true. Find that one person and leave the other one alone. Again, you read through the book of Proverbs, it tells you how to deal with someone who's acting foolishly. Answer not a fool according to their folly. Don't get caught up in that. But if you're really looking for truth, I wanna help you find the truth. And there's a, a man who came to our church that got saved several months ago. He said he was um, deployed. And he went to Catholic mass because all he knew was Catholicism. That's all he knew. And he was telling a man who was a member of our church at the time. I sat in the chapel service and they passed me the rosary and I'm counting off the beads and I'm just like, what am I doing? I don't even know what this means. I don't think anybody else here knows what this means. And I really just want to talk to God right now. I don't want to try to remember some prayer that I got taught when I was 10 years old. And he asked this guy, but I mean, like, what do you do? And he says, man, if you're really looking for God, I know where you can find him. And he says, please, he invited him to church. He came to our church, and he came back, and he came back, and he came back, and he came back, and after about six weeks, he got saved. And then he got baptized. And now he started discipleship. And now he said, the lights came on. I get it. I found it. I found what I was looking for. And so you have someone who is steeped in a false religion who was searching for truth and someone lovingly brought him to truth. You know, again, I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to hear the gospel. But if you have people that are hostile to the gospel, just put truth out there and allow them to to come to it if they want to. But at the end of the day, the word is our final authority. We have to come back to that. Baptists have historically been biblicists. That means the Bible runs everything. It runs the show. And again, they've gone through many different names throughout church history. 
But at the end of the day, Baptists have historically been a people of the book. And that's why for me, I don't have a problem being called a Baptist. I'm a Christian first and foremost. I'm a Biblicist secondly. But if I'm going to align with any group of people who have a belief system that aligns with the Bible, I believe Baptist is important. And again, I think it's important that we define for people, what, that, what does that mean? And a lot of times folks come to our church who don't know what a Baptist is, they say, I don't even really know what Baptist is. I said, Baptists are just historically Biblicists. It's funny people's viewpoint on what makes a Baptist. Sometimes people come, they say, well, I thought you guys would have a big choir with choir robes. What does that mean? Well, that's what Baptist churches do, right? They have huge choirs with choir robes. It's just like, no. I'm really surprised there's not a lot more black people here. I thought Baptist was a black thing. It's just like, what? Well, I grew up, grew up in Alabama, and every other church, was a Baptist church was a historically black church. Okay, got it. Yeah, it has nothing to do with that. Don't Baptists handle snakes? <laughs> no. Maybe in like eastern Kentucky, maybe, but no. Absolutely not. Baptists have historically been a people of the book. What the Bible says goes. And it's always amazing when you talk to somebody and you say, we just believe what the Bible says and we just go with that. Next question, almost 100% of the time. Well, doesn't every church do that? Hmm, I wish it did. I wish it did. Unfortunately not. A lot of churches will have holdovers of tradition or holdovers from the way things have always been and things along those lines. For us, we just, we just let the, the Bible rule today. I think Paul says, what I've said, I've said. I'm not going to debate it any further. God's word speaks for itself. Jesus Christ is enough. It's that. So as we close out this book, I think the big takeaway is that we don't have to earn our way to heaven. We don't have to work for it. We can trust in the finished work of Christ. But there are people out there today, today, that are steeped in a religious system of works, hoping that one day they'll get to heaven. Some people today went to mass and took the Eucharist and they thought that they received Jesus Christ today. They think that that wafer that they put in their mouth turned into the body of Christ and that oh, Jesus lives in them because they took that. Mm. I feel terrible for that. It hurts my heart for that. There's people who think this week when, when they go into a booth and they tell a man the wrong things they've done this week and he tells them how many times to recite a prayer, they think that their sins will be forgiven. My heart hurts for that. There's people whose loved ones have passed away and they'll go to a, a church and they'll light a candle and they'll pray that God will take their, their soul from purgatory and receive it up into heaven. And they'll say things like, may God receive his spirit or may the spirit of our loved one rest in peace. And they'll say things like that in hopes that maybe they'll make it to heaven. Mm, my heart hurts for that. And I think as Paul wrote this letter, I think he wrote it from a broken heart. Guys, you've taken something that was so beautiful, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you messed it up with works. Let's bring it back to where it should be. As a church family, I want us to always love the word of God, always love the Bible. I want us to always love the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind and the change that comes from that. And I always want us to love people always you know why because the things that Jesus loved Jesus loved the word 
he died for our sins. He loved people. As we close out this book, again, just remember, it's all about Jesus. What do we need for eternal life? Only Jesus. What do we need to make it tomorrow? Only Jesus. What do we need to reach this world? Only Jesus. What about reaching our block? Just Jesus. That's it. Jesus Christ is enough. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.